welcome to Let's Talk Social Work, the podcast from the British Association of Social Workers. This is space for conversation, discussion with social workers, the individuals they support, and colleagues working in related professions. We consider the key matters affecting social workers as we explore contemporary issues with a focus at the local, national and global levels. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. My name is Andy McClanahan and this is a special episode produced to unpack the implications of the government's spending review for social workers and the families and individuals who use social work services. Joining me today are Kerry Prince, Baswa's Public and Political Affairs Lead, and Roseanne Palmer, Baswa's Policy and Research Lead Officer. Kerry and Roseanne, how are you both doing? Good, good. Uh, busy day, lots of listening to what's been going on in Parliament. Indeed. Same here, um, it's Roseanne here, and yes, uh, just following what's been going on with the spending review. And we're doing this remotely, as always, uh, recording this over Zoom. Roseanne, where are you at the moment, to sort of interest? I'm in Worcestershire, so um, not all that far away from head office in Birmingham. Kerry, where are you? I am in Middlesbrough in the northeast, where it is grey and gets dark very early. Okay, and I'm in Belfast, and my kids uh, are in the house. My little boy has just come home from school, so there may be some background noise. Do forgive that if it comes through. So it's just now three o'clock, and it's shortly after the Chancellor has delivered his statement to the House of Commons, and we've heard the response from the opposition and the smaller parties. The statement covers a lot. Um, There are a number of big standout issues, and I know, Kerry, that Baswa had five priorities that we had highlighted that needed to be addressed in the government's um, spending review. Have those issues been addressed? Do you want to take us through each of those? Yes, that's right. We, we did have five. Um, to be honest, any Baswell member coming away today, having read the statement, may be quite disappointed with the content of, of the Chancellor's statement. So the first of the five was tackling poverty. And whilst the Chancellor will say that job creation is the best way to prosperity, this ignores the sheer amount of numbers of children that live in poverty. I think it's seven in 10 children in poverty are in a household where at least one adult works. So creating jobs isn't isn't the, the, the solution that the Chancellor might like to think that it is. Um, the second point was investment in social work. Um, so the go- local government were given extra flexibility on council tax and the social care precept. But this simply shifts the responsibility onto already stretched local authorities. Three billion extra pounds for local authorities to tackle COVID-19 simply isn't enough. And local authorities need real and lasting funding to give them the security to respond and prepare. Because even though it looks like the end is in sight for this pandemic, the challenges that people face, the responsibilities that local authorities have won't be over. Um, More crises will come. Um, And when we then look at adult social care reform, there was just one billion pounds for social care, which is nowhere near enough, perhaps not even a tenth of what's needed to really to really address this gap. The fourth point that Basel were looking for was increased ring fence funding for mental health. Now, not once in his statement did the Chancellor mention the word mental health in the much larger document that accompanies the statement. There is, of course, mention of this. £500 million has been allocated to support mental health services in England. Again, not even, I think, uh, 
double that would, would be what was needed. Uh, 500 million simply isn't enough, not especially when we don't know the real impact of what COVID, long COVID and lockdown impacts will have on mental well-being. People probably still aren't even reaching out for support. They may just be starting to feel the impact. Uh, so I think the Chancellor may have underestimated how much support that area will need. And our fifth point was for there not to be a return to austerity and for fair pay to low paid staff. The Chancellor said that um, whilst it's doctors, nurses and others that will um, not be subject to a pay freeze, he did say that there will be a rise in the minimum wage, which should mean that those on under £24,000 a year will receive an extra £250 a year. Which, when you consider this spread over 52 weeks and then after tax, I'm no mathematician, I'm no economist, but that's nowhere near enough what people need to get by. And it comes back to how people simply will not be able to get on to be able to, to feed their families and provide heating if they don't have enough money coming in. So overall, this was a disappointing spending review. It doesn't give the country and the most hardest hit from this pandemic the support that they need. And... Um, in a year's time, we'll have another spending review because this was only for one year instead of three that was originally planned. Um, so many organisations such as BAS will spend the next year campaigning trying to make sure that next year's gives recognises the support that is needed and it does go much further to address the challenges that we face as a society. Thanks very much, Kerry. That's, that's incredibly helpful to have. And we'll go through each of those five points in a bit of detail shortly. But just before we do, Roseanne, to bring a bit of clarity to the process itself, could you tell us what the difference is between a budget and a spending review, which we've heard today? So um, the essential difference um, from the perspective of, of a member of the public is that in the spending review, we're looking at how much money government departments have been allocated for their day-to-day -day spending, so how much money they'll have available to spend on services. It doesn't include critical things that affect individuals that would be in the budget, such as tax increases, so whether income tax goes up, whether duty on fuel goes up, whether duty on alcohol and cigarettes go up. Those would all be covered in the budget, whereas um, the spending review is very much focused on how much government departments have to spend. And consequently, because of the way we have devolution in the UK, it affects how much money the governments in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland also have to spend. And I think from what I've been reading, it would seem that no one in government is denying privately, at least, that there will have to be some form of tax rises in the future. We didn't hear any of those today. That will likely be coming at the next in the next budget. If we go through those main points, Kerry, that you raised, tackling poverty, that's been a real issue for Baswa. We have had an anti-austerity platform. We've campaigned against the issues like the universal uh, credit to child limit. And just on that, uh, universal credit to child limit, we know from figures that the Child Poverty Action Group have published that 300,000 additional children will be pushed into poverty because of the two-child limit by the time universal credit is fully rolled out. Now, that's a figure which predates the COVID-19 pandemic. It will only have gotten worse since then. 300,000 additional children, that's not 300,000 children in total. It's 300,000 children more pushed into poverty. I mean, that's unconscionable um, living in the fifth richest country in the world. 
that wasn't addressed today, certainly. I know that uh, not even the 20-pound the uplift in universal credit, uh, the 20-pound the weekly uplift in universal credit um, is going to be extended. That the, the statement, when you read the full statement, it says that that 20-pound uplift will stay in place until April 2021, but that was always the case. Those are the big issues that affect families that social workers engage with, uh, and they're not being addressed today. That's correct. Uh, they haven't been addressed today. The uh, universal credit will very likely become one of the key issues that political parties might choose to focus on now, especially especially the Labour Party, which is the official opposition. Um, the £20 uprise for universal credit per week is, is supposed to run out in April, and there seems to be no indication that that will be continued, and there are many groups calling on that to be extended, um, because £20 a week isn't even a lot. Um, the fact that that was that was given shows that it's understood that the sheer, sheer amount of families that are living in poverty that eighty extra pounds would go a long way. That's 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 food shopping for perhaps even two weeks. Um, that's paying for heating bills, and we are not out of this pandemic by any means. We are certainly not out of poverty. No, we're near getting out of it. The repercussions of this will continue for months, years to come. Um, if you we're listening to the Chancellor earlier, you'll hear that we're not even expected to balance out uh, the economy until until the quarter four of 2022. Um, we are years off. And to say that families and their income um, will, will be fine after after April is, is ludicrous. And it's a figure, forgive me, I don't have the UK wide figure, but this is a figure we've used in campaigning in Northern Ireland. It's taken from research published by Queen's University Belfast and funded by the Nuffield Foundation. The figure is that children that grow up in the most deprived areas of Northern Ireland are six times more likely to be placed on the child protection register and four times more likely to become looked after by social services than those that grow up in the least deprived areas of Northern Ireland. That's the reality of what poverty means for social work services and the, the families that depend on them. It's a, it's a matter that needs to be addressed. And there are also issues related to adverse childhood experiences in terms of the impacts of growing up in poverty. We know that children that grow up in poverty are more likely to have long-term health problems. We know that there is greater likelihood to become involved in the youth and criminal justice systems, for example. It's not necessarily a saving to, to not provide resources to address poverty um, at the source. It's like anything in social work. Early intervention is where the greatest impact will be felt. Don't deal with the um, symptoms of the problem. Deal with the source, the root cause of the problem. Absolutely, and that, 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 that's exactly correct. Um, and while some will see extra £20 a week as being some kind of handout, uh, we, can, we, can, we can tell from the content of the Chancellor's statement today and the response from MPs and organisations that we are in tough times and facing tougher times. And it is the poorest that will really feel the brunt of this. It is hard to be a parent at any time, but to be a parent in poverty is something that, the chance of the exchequer of the exchequer cannot imagine um, and must give as much resource that is needed to ensure that children and working families have the support and the resource that they need. And I think, and I don't want to be throwing stones at the government. You have um, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, who is himself an incredibly wealthy man. You have a cabinet comprised of very wealthy individuals. It is incredibly difficult to have an understanding of what it means to live in poverty from that context. 
Um, and that's the context that social workers see. Social workers feed that in. They should be listened to in terms of the development of economic and social policy. That's something which is which would be vital in terms of actually addressing some of these big problems. That's Basel's role to raise those issues with our decision makers. Oh, oh, absolutely. And we can't underestimate the the value of listening to people with lived experience. I am a what is now a well-educated white person living living in who normally lives in London. I have no idea what it is like to be a parent, someone who may be experiencing racism, transphobia, all these issues that seem to be coming more and more prevalent in our society. I don't know, but the best I can do is listen to those people, understand their experiences and work with them to address them. So what the Chancellor can do is listen to those people who are saying they need help, identify how they can be helped and provide that support. Absolutely. The the pay freeze issue, if we come just onto that now, the, the Chancellor said that doctors, nurses and other NHS staff would be protected from that pay freeze. So in terms of who's not protected in terms of public sector, I'm guessing that's going to be police officers, that's going to be teachers and it's going to be social workers, I presume. We haven't had clarity on that. Um, mm-hmm. My issue well, I've, <laughs> I have various issues with the introduction of a public sector pay freeze, but what I would kind of zero in on, they've justified bringing in a public sector pay freeze based on the fact that there was an ONS, Office of National St- Statistics report, published in September this year, which highlighted a 7% pay gap between public sector workers and private sector workers. It's a very, very complicated and complex document. I looked through it. There's various factors which contribute to that 7% pay gap. And we're not, I'm not challenging that 7% pay gap itself. But in terms of how that is calculated, there's a big disparity between the, the, the wages of low-paid private sector staff and low-paid public sector staff. The gap gets a lot smaller as you move up pay scales. So the big problem here is the low pay of private sector workers. That's the issue government should be addressing. They're not addressing it. And what they're doing is they're using the low pay of private sector staff to justify a pay freeze for all of the public sector. That, in my opinion, is wrong. And before we discuss that, the other issue that I would flag up as being very important is also a factor in that calculation by the ONS is the our pension contributions. Public sector workers tend to have much better pensions than private sector workers. Those pension contributions are counted as remuneration. But if you're struggling to pay your bills, if you can't pay your mortgage, if you're struggling to heat your house, getting a better pension when you retire means nothing now. And that's something which which the ONS factor in, the government know is a key factor in that 7% pay disparity but they don't acknowledge it. They use that disparity as an excuse to put a pay freeze on public sector workers. Thanks, Andy. I think that's a really valid point. I I would just like to come in there and say that um, the pay freeze, although we've talked about um, the pay freeze not affecting certain categories of NHS staff, it's also worth remembering that the UK government doesn't control levels of pay for all public sector workers across the UK. So there are categories of public sector workers, including in the NHS and education, where Scottish government, Welsh government and Northern Ireland executive would um, have a say, certainly, if not decide the levels of pay for those particular employees. Thanks, Roseanne. Thanks for clarifying that. 
Uh, did you want to talk about the, the, the minimum wage? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. So whilst the Chancellor did say that many public sector workers would be subject to a pay freeze, the government's national living wage, but some people would dispute that this is a living wage, um, for those 23 and over is increasing to £8.91, which is a far cry from the £10 uh, hourly living wage that is requested by people in the Labour Party, for example, and, and other organisations. Um, and we also need to remember that this is... this small increase in the minimum, in the minimum wage um, is only for those 23 and over. If you're under 23, your, your bills aren't less than that for someone who is over 23. And this is fast becoming one of, in my experience anyway, one of the biggest reasons why perhaps young people aren't voting Conservative in the numbers that they would want, because consistently they are saying whether it's under 25 for, for housing support or now it's uh, you only get the increase in the living wage if you're over 23. Um, this this isn't helpful for those who are young and arguably don't have enough savings but can't live at home because there isn't enough room at home. Um, and I think the government may have misjudged the anger that this will cause amongst young adults who are consistently not getting the rewards as such that the that, that, that people over 23 are getting. Thanks, Kerry. And that is incredibly important. Your bills aren't cheaper because you're younger. That's, that's something which I think needs to be recognised. In terms of the point you had raised uh, about investment in social work and the extra flexibility that's going to be for local government and council tax, um, can we examine that a bit more? Okay. So the second point that Basel wanted to see, wanted to see raised in the spending review was investment in social work. Um, extra flexibility was announced for local government on council tax and the social care precept. Um, but all this does is shift responsibility onto already stretched local authorities, forcing them to take the burden of, of spending decisions and, and, and how they're pulling that money together and different local authorities will make their own decisions on the best way to do that. Yeah, and, and, and forgive me if this is entirely wrong, but I would presume that local authorities that are in areas which are more economically deprived will most likely be having a higher demand on their social work services. They then have yeah, a, that, that, yeah. yeah, and then they are seeking to resource those services from uh, um, a citizenship which are less able to pay because central government won't provide the funding that they need. Absolutely, that it's like a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Um, they're yeah, Roseanne wants to come in. Um, I think that's absolutely key point, actually, Andy and Kerry, is the fact that the local authorities who have the most flexibility to take advantage of council tax increases and the social care precept are those that possibly don't have quite the demand of the local authorities in England, certainly, because as we know, social care is handled differently across the different parts of the UK, um, that it's those 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 local authorities in the most deprived areas who are most constrained by this model of the social care precept and flexibility in council tax to fund social care. And it, it would do absolutely nothing to help in Northern Ireland. We, our social work services, our statutory services are delivered by the five health and social care trusts, not by local authorities. So um, that ability to vary uh, council tax will have no impact in Northern Ireland. Thanks and funding for adult social care reform. There's been one billion allocated for adult social care, but that's not going to scratch the surface, is it, Kerry? No, not at all. Uh, this is an area that needs consistent 
significant funding to address current cases as well as the future cases we hear we're hearing so much as well about long covid and the impact that covid is having on other what who were previously very healthy people um so i don't i don't believe we even know exactly what it is we're going to be facing within one to two years um where people who may be in their 40s deemed otherwise fit now need more support than ever before it's 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 another crisis waiting to happen and i think for for many people the the social care crisis is is a reality and it is currently happening it's not something which is necessarily down the line it's something which is going to intensify as we go into the years ahead Roseanne, did you have anything to say on that so just coming in about that point on the funding of, of social care, it's worth remembering again that these debates are taking place differently in the in the different parts of the UK. So what the Chancellor has said today in his spending review applies to the funding of social care in England um, because social care in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland is the responsibility of the devolved institutions there. Um, and they have their own debates, their own models um, Certainly, I I know that uh, in Wales there's been a there has been a quite intense conversation developing about how to fund social care going forward and what that might what that might look like into the future. And I know in Scotland they've also had um, their own debates about modelling this. And I think it is one of those things. Some of the statements and some of the headlines you'll see today carried in the media are about spending that relates to England and then via a mechanism called the Barnett formula, the Treasury will then work out how much money, which is known as a consequential, from those spending decisions will be added to the budgets for Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland. And then the governments in Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland decide through their own budgets how they distribute that money across the issues, for the policy areas for which they're responsible. Thanks, Suzanne. That's really helpful. And I think it's one of the issues that's come to light with the COVID pandemic. Because health and social care is devolved to Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales, there is a better understanding now of what devolution actually means. And that hasn't necessarily been palatable to everybody, including, it seems, the Prime Minister. If we move on to the next point um, around mental health, the the impacts of COVID-19, they haven't been limited to physical health of the population. So anxiety caused by health concerns, the isolation of lockdown, trauma resulting from an inability to mourn the loss of loved ones in the normal way. You know, we've got restrictions on how funeral gatherings can happen. These have all coalesced to present mental health challenges, which up till now just weren't known um, and they hadn't been faced by the social work profession. Baswa has highlighted that it's vital that an uplift in funding is allocated to adequately resource mental health social work services as the profession responds to a real surge in demand. What's been announced in today's spending review isn't going to do that. Sure it's not, Kerry? Absolutely. It, it, again, I think we're seeing a recurring theme that the measures that we welcome that are being announced, such as £500 million for mental health, that it, it's it's just not enough. The the strategy unit within the NHS uh, developed a mental health surge model, and that suggests that new referrals alone will rise by eleven percent every year for the next three years, and that this will require funding of over a billion pounds per year. And these figures are are additional to the approximate five hundred thousand people that were not that were not able to um, access service services during the first lockdown. So this, so whilst the £500 million is, of course, 
better than nothing and it does show the government are aware that mental health is a problem it once again isn't giving the money that it, that that the services need like the um 1 billion pounds for adults adult social care it just it's frustrating because it, it's a good headline figure and these are millions and or billions of pounds being allocated to services but perhaps people don't necessarily acknowledge or, or understand that whilst one billion pounds sounds like a lot that doesn't get you very far on services that so many people need um so with with mental health 500 million will will target waiting lists it may develop mental health support in schools but will it adequately address the backlog of people waiting for support as well as all as well as all these new cases that we're going to get as a result of the COVID crisis because as you say it's not just physical health it's mental health as well I fear that it won't be enough and we may be here in a year's time where the chances had to come back and give even more because we are hearing reports everywhere we turn that mental health services are crumbling and, and, and straining under the pressure. Yeah, and so five hundred million pounds for England. I think when you think about what that might mean in terms of Barnet consequentials for Northern Ireland, one of the points we raised as Basel Northern Ireland was that Northern Ireland has disproportionately high levels of mental health problems, and they're pertaining to the the, the troubles. So the the long period of political conflict that we had in Northern Ireland. We actually covered this in the last episode of Let's Talk Social Work. So if anyone wants to find out more about that, just look back uh, to the last episode. Money is needed to resource a Northern Ireland um, mental health strategy that was announced earlier this year. We're not seeing anything significant in the spending review in terms of mental health in England. I doubt we're going to see any significant money trickling through in terms of the Barnet consequentials for mental health services in Northern Ireland. Those problems will only escalate. You know, again, it comes to that issue about um, early intervention, preventative spend. Deal with those issues at, it's early on. Otherwise, they'll spiral. They're going to cost the system more money. Of course. Yeah, they're going to have yeah. more impacts in terms of social work services, in terms of health services. And um, it's a, it's not a good way to, to be trying to address a massive uh, uh, issue in society. Roseanne, do you want to come in? Yeah, I, I mean, I was thinking along the same lines as you there, um, Andy, which is that when you're addressing symptoms rather than causes, things generally end up being far more expensive to tackle. If you invest upstream in preventive services, you end up not having to throw money at emergency situations further down the line or not as much money as emergency situations. And I think that's that's the, the concern that we're highlighting here is that if we don't put enough money into funding mental health services now, we're storing up problems for the future that's actually just going to prove to be more expensive in the long run. I suppose just on that point, though, as well, social work services across the UK, across the four nations, the impacts of COVID in terms of health uh, impacts are very, very clear. They are people in hospitals. There are people getting sick and there are people dying. A huge amount of the impacts um, of COVID in terms of uh, social work services and demand in social work services, it's hidden at the moment. A lot of, um, we know there's been increases in terms of domestic abuse. We know there's been increases in terms of neglect and abuse of children during lockdown. And there will be a tsunami of demand for social work services across the four nations. I know in Northern Ireland, we're starting to see it now. I doubt that it's any different in England, Scotland and Wales. Those need to be resourced as well. It's not just health impacts of COVID. It's, It's the social impacts also which which lead to demand on social work services. Yeah. And it's the the economic impact of what we've been experiencing as well people who were previously working regularly not working 
um, all of those things. So we've been talking, because we're talking about the spending review today, we've been focusing on the amounts of money that have been allocated to certain things. But of course, we know that all these things have costs beyond the financial cost. It's about you know, the individual cost to the person, their physical health, their mental health and, and well-being and so on. Absolutely. And if we just, we wrap up maybe with the last point that Baswell had advocated was no return to austerity and fair pay for low-paid staff. Now, there's a couple of issues that we've, we've covered the low-pay issue, I think, already. In terms of austerity and no return to austerity, the argument by a cynic would be government spending has increased massively. That can't be considered austerity because more money is being spent. But the argument I would make and many others would make is if you're going to freeze the pay of public sector workers, for those individuals, that is austerity. If you're not going to address the shortcomings of universal credit and the impacts that's having in relation to deepening and extending poverty for families and children across the UK, that is austerity. These issues need to be dealt with. It's interesting um, because the first real sign that came out that made it look like the government were definitely going to freeze public sector pay was the very public dismissal of the proposed pay increase for MPs. Normally something MPs don't get bogged down by because it's set by an independent body and MPs don't decide their own pay. Um, but over the last week or so, if you've been paying attention, you'll have seen um, Conservative MPs, so MPs, backbench MPs on the government side, um, coming out saying it is entirely wrong in these difficult circumstances for MPs to get this you know, 3% pay rise, whatever whatever it was, um, which doesn't doesn't normally happen. You might get the odd loan MP come out and say it shouldn't happen, or they'll say they're going to they're gonna donate it. But the fact is that some MPs were coming out, quite a few MPs um, in, the, in their hundreds, actually, coming out saying it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. And this was a clear indicator that they knew that MPs couldn't get a pay rise at a time when the government was set to, to freeze public sector pay. For the, for the people who have really, really done the hard work this year um, if they were getting a pay freeze there was no way that the MPs could but also on on the um, austerity bit one thing that the Chancellor did did talk about was a leveling up fund um, which would involve MPs bidding for funding for their area now this is hugely problematic because who would a Conservative Chancellor, um, who obviously has interests of his party winning the, winning the next election, prioritise for spending on projects in local areas. Um, and in the past, we've seen that these situations favour parties, uh, favour the communities that have a an MP of the party that is in government. So the levelling up fund may it is also, although it's announced millions, billions to go towards projects in the most deprived areas. These these are political decisions. And um, and the government will talk about how this can't be austerity because we're injecting so much money. But maybe, maybe I'm just a cynic, Andy. Maybe I'm just a cynic and this and this is a completely transparent programme that will bring much good to, to local areas. Um, yeah, I think there are concerns there around having a fund of that nature and of that scale where it's competitive. I'm not sure that, that levelling up is really about setting local areas against one another in a competition for resources. Because that 
that will end up to some regions inevitably, whether it's on the party political grounds that Kerry just highlighted or whether it's for other reasons. Some areas will then inevitably benefit more than others, rather than perhaps funding being focused on the areas that most need to be brought up. Absolutely. You're absolutely, absolutely correct. Um, it's more division at a time where they say the country needs to come together and work together, but it will be that some areas are prioritised over others once again. Kerry, Roseanne, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. I know you're both incredibly busy. It's going to be busy for the rest of the afternoon pulling this all together. But thanks so much for taking part. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, thanks for having me. 